Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. Now, just to kind of jog your memory, last week we concluded with Mark chapter 6 and verse 52. By the way, for guests' sake, we're going verse by verse on Sunday mornings through the gospel of Mark. And we dealt with this verse 52. The last few words of this verse are, for their heart was hardened. We talked about what that means. These people had just, these disciples had just witnessed as Jesus had taken five loaves of bread, five little pieces of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 men. They'd witnessed this great miracle. You'd think you wouldn't get over it. And then they got into a boat and they get on the Sea of Galilee and they're in a storm and they panic and they don't know what's going to happen. And, and Jesus was kind of reprimanding his. Your heart's already hardened. You've already, you know, your, your, your lack of sensitive, sensitivity spiritually has caused you to have doubt and not, and not faith. And so that's verse 52. Now verse 53, if you'll look with me in the Bible. And when they had passed over, when they completed this journey... Across the Sea of Galilee, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. The people recognized him. He had been there before. Verse 55, and these people ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered, into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. That's an incredible, incredible Record, isn't it? I want to deal with this passage and another a passage that's sort of a parallel passage to this. But I want, to, I want to deal with this question, and you'll understand the question more as we move through the message. And here's the question What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? In this story, they were just bringing people in their beds and people from everywhere, and whoever touched him. They were healed. They were miraculously healed. It's an amazing testimony. I believe it happened just like the Bible says, don't you? Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we begin. Father, please bless our time in the Word of God today. Help us to be uh, learners, to come with open hearts and minds. May the Spirit of God be our teacher. And Lord, may we apply it to our life and take it to heart. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, just try if you could for a moment as we get into this passage uh, today to think about really the, uh, the magnitude of what's happening. Appreciate this period in Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus was not always as popular as is right here. And we'll find out later that his popularity began to wane as he got closer to the cross. By that I mean the crowds began to dismiss. Uh, disperse and diminish, and we'll talk about why. But his popularity is definitely at its peak right here in the moment we're talking about. I said earlier, when Jesus fed those 5,000 men, they were there. Jesus was there because he had taken his disciples to get away to a remote area. It was a place of privacy. 
So Jesus went there intentionally to have some downtime with his disciples. And yet such a crowd gathered that when he fed them, there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So that, that gives you some sense of how popular he was. Are you with me? Some sense. I mean, imagine taking a, imagine if you or I were to go out into a remote area out in the country where nobody was really around so we could just be quiet and still and rest and perhaps 10 or 15,000 people gather there. That's how popular he was. So the enormity to me of this enthusiasm is amazing to think about. It's really amazing to think about. And so he comes uh, here in this passage to this shore and people recognized him and they began to bring these sick people to him. We read about it in verse 54, how they knew him in verse 55, how the people who knew him just ran into the region and began to carry people to him, people even in stretchers or beds that were sick because they heard that he was there. And so in my mind, I'm trying to visualize what this looks like. As these people are just coming, you know, from the woods and the fields and carrying people and bringing people. And, and, and just so, to, so try to picture that in your mind. And in verse 56 says he would travel himself walking around into villages, small, remote areas, cities, larger cities, out in the country. And people, they would just lay these sick people in the street. Lay all these sick people on the side of the road, believing that if Jesus passed by, and the scripture says in verse 56, is if they could just touch the border of his garment, it would help them, and everyone who touched him was made whole. Isn't that something? It's amazing. Imagine that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it tells us other places, similar record, but I'm confident this scene was repeated many times in many places as Jesus helped so many people. What an exhibition of his compassion, right? What an exhibition of his power, of his power, the sheer power in his presence. Everyone healed of every disease. It didn't matter what they believed. It didn't matter. He did, there was no litmus test. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to fill out an inquiry sheet. Everybody, no matter what they believed, no matter where they came from, no matter what was wrong with them, they were healed. And when I hear, when I, and that's exactly what this is teaching. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's not here. It's exactly what happened. And when I see this, I understand why. The great crowds. I mean, the crowds were just coming. Amazing. He, mul- he multiplied food. He just took food and just multiplied it so that everyone who came could eat and be filled. It didn't matter how rich or poor you were. It didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter if you'd been a good steward of your money. It didn't matter. They didn't ask any questions. Everybody's fed and everybody's full and everybody who has a disease, they're healed. And that was an amazing time, right? Now I'm going to, I don't want to burst your bubble, but two things I want to say about this. Number one, 
These people began to figure out real soon, and we're going to see it in the Bible, that there was more to it than just getting food and your heal, diseases healed. There was more to it than that. And by the way, this is kind of what a lot of people want today. Now think with me for a moment. They want anything and everything that Jesus could give them with no strings attached. With no responsibilities. With no obligations. With no expectations. Just name it and claim it. That's really what a lot of people want. Now, what, I don't, I'm not going to ask you if you agree with me or not, because I'm, I'm confident I know what I'm talking about, but I think most people here would agree. That's what people would like. And by the way, if you had that, you couldn't put them in this building. You couldn't, you couldn't build a big enough auditorium to hold them. If, if all their bills are going to be paid and all their meals are going to be provided and all their sicknesses are going to be helped and all you have to do is come and, you, and there's nothing will ever be expected of you from you, you couldn't build a big enough auditorium to hold them. By the way, some people are filling up auditoriums today with that very message. But the problem is, and, and by the way, some people who hear what I'm saying, and maybe you're here and you're thinking this tonight today because you haven't really maybe thought through some of these things. You're probably thinking, well, I thought that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, I thought Jesus was, I thought Jesus would still do that today. Why isn't Jesus doing that today? By the way, a lot of people think Jesus ought to do that today. But if you read the Bible, you'll find out he didn't even always do that in his day. And he doesn't always do it today. By the way, think about this. Whatever happened to all these people? Have you ever wondered what happened to these people? You know the people that got fed? They got hungry again. Right? That wasn't a permanent fullness. I wouldn't like that anyway because I like eating. But, but they, 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 got, they got hungry again. And these people that got healed? That doesn't mean they never got sick again. I'm sure they got sick again. And eventually they died. And some people Jesus raised from the dead. But they died later. <laughs> so what, then what happens? If all they got was food, and all they got was healing, if that's all they got, then they're going to die, and then they've got a big problem. Because where are they going to be forever? See, here's the deal. Jesus helped people, but Jesus wanted to give people more than food and well bodies. He wanted to give them life. Eternal life, but he wanted to give them a new way of life. He wanted to give them meaningful life. He wanted to give them a changed life. Now, let me, just, let me just kind of segue into what I really want to spend the rest of our time focusing on today. Jesus' ministry lasted, his earthly ministry, from the time he was baptized until the time he was crucified. It lasted about three and a half years. The, the, what we're reading right here in John, or Mark chapter 6, these events are... 
two-thirds of the way through the earthly ministry of Jesus. This is sometimes because, called the beginning of the year of opposition. Because the tables began to turn and the sentiment began to change right about where we're talking about. This is the final year. This is the beginning of the final year of Jesus' ministry on this earth. Matter of fact, look in Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. I hope you'll keep your Bible with you and keep it open this morning. Mark chapter 7 verse 1, it says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem... And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. They, he, was, he was immediately confronted with this criticism from the religious crowd. Next time we have our study, we'll take up this passage in Mark chapter 7. But here's something that I want you to think about, you know, and this is sort of a Bible study tidbit. You know, one of the things I find helpful to me when I'm looking at something in the Gospels is to realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all gave their own perspective, their record of, and were divinely inspired as they did so, of the uh, events concerning the life and times of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's, it's interesting to sort of harmonize those four together. By the, and I'm not going to, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but some events, like the feeding of the 5,000, it happened, it was recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them recorded. Some events were only recorded in one of the Gospels. For instance, only John recorded the encounter with Nicodemus and the text about you must be born again. The only place you'll read that is in John. Uh, the, the account of the two the disciples on the road to Emmaus that had the conversation with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. You'll only read about that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. So, so it, helps to, it helps to compare these different accounts in a chronological order. And I say that because there's something recorded in John chapter 6 that sheds light on the subject that we're dealing with today. And that is this. You know, what do you want from Jesus? So let's go to John chapter 6, and let's look at this together, and we'll spend the remaining time we have this morning there. In John chapter 6, just to sort of um, get us on the same page, you know, in John chapter 6, it begins with Jesus going over the Sea of Galilee, and... um, It talks about him feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Look in verse 9. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. What are they among so many? Verse 10 says they fed about 5,000 people. So you see that this is the same place Mark was at in Mark chapter 6. John chapter 6 is at the same place, the feeding of the 5,000. If you look further in John chapter 6, down in verse 19, you find Jesus as he came to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. We read about that in Mark 6. Look in John 6, 19. So when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh to the ship, and they were afraid. We talked about that last week or week before last in Mark chapter 6. So here we have the same parallel events. Are you with me? The same things that were happening in Mark chapter 6. If you look at, the, if you look at uh, John chapter 7, notice this. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Can you see there how the sentiment has changed? There's this animosity toward him. And so, 
What caused this? What, what is, there's an obvious change in what happened. What happened that changed this enormous popularity had? What happened that caused them to go from these crowds of tens of thousands of people to where the, to where the enemies began to increase and the opposition began to increase? And in John 6, we get the answer to that question. Because we read about what I would call a mass exodus. People leaving Jesus. People having a change of sentiment. And look, look with me in John chapter 6, for instance. And verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but you can't get around the reality of it. At that time, many of his disciples began to turn away from him. This this marks a turning point for many who had been following Jesus. All of a sudden, they lost their interest in Jesus. They're no longer numbered among the disciples. And this was such a powerful, obvious public departure that Jesus even asked the 12 closest to him if they were going to defect from him. Look in John chapter 6 and verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the 12. We're talking about the 12 closest. Here's the question. Will you also go away? Are you going to leave me too? What, What was it that made it so hard For the masses to stay with Jesus. I hope you're staying with me today. What was it it that caused these people that were just surrounding him with, with, with enthusiasm, almost fanatical, just to get food and just to get the miracles and all these things? What caused them to turn away? Look in John chapter 6 and verse 60. It says... Many, therefore, his disciples, of his disciples. Now, keep in mind, a disciple is a learner. People who are taking it upon themselves to be instructed. doesn't mean that they're all saved. They're just learners. Verse 60, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, what he had just said, here was their response. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Jesus was saying things that they weren't willing to accept. Jesus was saying things that they weren't willing to take. They'd wanted to hear Him teach. They certainly wanted Him to fill their bellies with food. They wanted Him to heal their diseases and were bringing everybody to hear Him. But now they're not bringing everybody to hear Him. They're actually leaving Him themselves. Is that right? How can, we, how can we do this? This is not pleasant to our flesh. This, this teaching you're giving, it's, it's not a feel-good sermon. Some people would say he's stepping on our toes. <laughs> they didn't like that. Now, keep it, just, just keep it all together. As long as Jesus was feeding them, as long as Jesus was healing their diseases, they were fully on board. Right? But they're not interested in these convicting truths that he's teaching them. 
Let's just notice a few other verses from John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 26. And again, I, I use this John 6 passage because it's clear that this passage, this, this teaching of Jesus occurred just after the feeding of the 5,000, just after he walked on the water, and just before the great departure began. This is what it was. So John chapter 6, verse 26, for instance, let's look at that. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. The only reason you came after me is because you just like getting full. You like the fish and chips. But Jesus began to teach them some things. Look in verse 30. They said therefore unto him, unto Jesus, What signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? I mean, what more did they want? What more could they want? He walked on the water. He fed 5,000 with fishes and loaves. I mean, they said, we want to see more. Give us more. Give us more miracles. We want to see more signs. Give us more signs. We'll keep following you. That's exactly what they were saying. You know, to me, that's, that's almost repulsive, that kind of an attitude. We want to see more. Look in John chapter 6 and verse 31. Jesus, here's how Jesus answered them. There's this, in this dialogue, these question and answers. Our fathers did eat man in the wilderness, they said, as it is written, talking about the Old Testament wanderings, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, they weren't talking about they wanted him. They just wanted the physical bread. Give us more of this bread. And Jesus said unto them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look at what you would in verse 51. John 6, 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's saying, you want this bread? I am the bread. I am the bread. And the life that I'm going to give is my flesh. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. Then he says this, and it it really starts to get sticky right here. Verse 54, Jesus said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Now, he's not talking about being a cannibal. He's talking about partaking of him. What is his flesh? He's going to give his life as a sacrifice. You You have to partake of that. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And I'm telling you, they're, they're head spinning now. 
Because they, you know, they, that, they don't want him. Bottom line, they don't want him. They just want what he can give them. Give us some more food. You know, heal our diseases. Verse 59 says, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He's teaching these things in the synagogue. Verse 60, I, I read this a moment ago. I'm going to read it again. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them. He knew they were saying this. He knew they were saying, this is too much. This is too hard. This is more than we, this is more than we counted on. And Jesus says, does this offend you? There's the question. Does this offend you? Are you offended by this? Now you, I don't know if you're seeing this the way I'm seeing it, but this is how I see it. They didn't really want him. They wanted what he would do for him, but they didn't want him. They didn't want his salvation. They didn't want his his lordship, his governing in their life. They didn't want him, you know, directed. All they wanted was his blessings. They wanted material blessings. They wanted to satisfy their flesh. But Jesus didn't come to satisfy anybody's flesh. He came to give us spiritual blessings, not physical blessings. Yes, He does bless us in physical ways, but that's not the primary thing. Look in verse 63 of John 6. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They're not, it's not to appease your flesh. It's to give you something much more valuable than just satisfying fleshly desires. And as I read a moment ago, in John chapter 6, verse 66, they began this great departure, this defection. Many of them. It doesn't tell us how many. I've read this lots of times as you have, and I've thought about it a lot of times, what it must have been like on that day. When all of a sudden, they started connecting the dots and figuring out, this is not just about some kind of a, of a spiritual sideshow where we can follow him around and he's just going to feed us and he's going to heal us and, and, and we can just follow around, you know, like groupies or something. It's not that. He's wanting more than that. And they just started leaving. I can just see them in my mind's eye leading, leaving. Dozens of them, scores of them, hundreds of them. We're done. We're done. So much so, as I said earlier, that in verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? If you're looking for a time to leave me, maybe this is the time you'd want to leave. Imagine that. But look what Simon Peter said in verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't say anything about getting food or getting your diseases cured. He says, where are we going to go? 
Your words have changed our life. Your words. It's your words that we want. We're not looking for a spiritual handout. We want your words. You have the words of eternal life. I thank God for how He meets needs and helps us in physical ways, in material ways, and answers our prayer. But it's not the food and health that we're interested in mostly. We're interested in what He has to say. Because His words are powerful. His words are life-giving. We're not in it to see what we can get out of it. We're in it because we want to be with Him. We want Him. We want His words. We want His fellowship. We want to spend time with Him. We want to serve Him because He's worth serving if He never filled our belly again. He's worth serving. I began by asking this question this morning. What do you want from Jesus? Because the majority of the people did not really want Him. They didn't want the life that He could give. They didn't want to be changed. They didn't want to be His bond slaves. They didn't want that. And so I asked the question, what do you want? Do you only want the things that He might give you to improve your life? Sometimes people... I think, think like that. By the way, he's done so much for us, right? He, he kept our family together. He helped, my, he helped our marriage. He helped us with our children. He, he helped us with purpose. He helped us with peace of mind. He, he gave us desires that were wholesome. I mean, he's changed our lives in so many ways. But you know what? This is what I believe God wants. He wants us just to want Him. He wants us just to want Him. Do you want His truth? Do you, do you want His way of life? His way of life. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible, ever in the Bible, do you find anything that just is remotely related to what I'm about to say, where we bring Jesus into our life so He can help us just fulfill all our dreams. No. He comes into our life to direct our life. To fulfill His will. And He commands us, not suggests, but commands us every day to die to ourselves and to follow Him. Is that right? It's in the Bible. And, and I'm, I, I regret that many people have developed an idea that Jesus is like this sort of a cosmic Santa Claus that just, you know, give, him, give me your list. It'll be under your tree. And, you, you know, you don't have to follow me. You don't have to obey me. And don't misunderstand me. You don't get saved by obeying Jesus. You get saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. But every one of his children, he calls to follow him and serve him and give up their own ways for his ways. Is that right? And sometimes people today, when they start understanding that, they say, well, that's, I didn't bargain for that. I just got in line for the 
stuff. <laughs> There's more. And there is stuff in this line, but it's good stuff too. A new life, new purpose, new family, right? So I ask you again, what do you want from Jesus? Because I'll tell you what he'll give you. He'll give you forgiveness of sin. He'll give you a new life. He'll, he'll take every sin you've ever, ever done and forgive you and wipe your slate clean. He'll give you companionship and fellowship. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll give you counsel. He'll give you direction. He'll give you the privilege and responsibility of serving Him with your life. He'll give you the greatest source of comfort and wisdom and truth you'll ever find in your life. The very Word of God. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen? What do you want from Jesus? If you're here today... And maybe you thought, you know, that coming to Jesus just, just meant, you know, what those people thought it meant. But now you understand more. He wants my life. By the way, He deserves our life, right? He, he, de- he deserves us. And today would be a good day to say, I, I want Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not sure He's in your life, if you're not sure you've been born again, if you're not sure that He's saved you, made a difference in you, then you ought to come today and let somebody talk with you and pray with you about how you can know for certain He's in your life. And if you're here today and you've kind of gotten into this mindset, it happens, this mindset that, you know, Jesus is here for me just to come Every time I need something, and he'll always be there for me, but he doesn't really expect anything out of me. He is there for us, but don't, the other part of it is not really true. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, right? What's the greatest thing Jesus ever done for us? We could, all of us, if we were to pool our ideas, we could come up with lots of stuff, right? Forgave us our sins. Worked in our families, helped us in so many ways. But you know the greatest thing he ever gave us is him, himself. Amen. Him. Amen. We have a person to offer people. Right? And his name is Jesus. Amen.